there's not a lot to talk about. It's it's honestly we have we do have a lot more to talk about if it was a bad pick. It's true. Yeah. I mean that's that's much more greater source of content. We had a lot more to say about Jordan Brooks and Rashad Penny than we do about Charles Cross, and also he's just like an offensive lineman. So you know Hello and welcome to a special episode of the Fabulous Pelton Cast. I'm your co-host Kevin Pelton, and I'm Tristan Carcino. And we are coming to you in different locations. I'm in Seattle, Washington, home of the four-time WNBA champion, Storm. And I'm coming to you from Renton, Washington, home of Charles Cross and the Super Bowl 48 champion, Seattle Seahawks. Hello! There it is. Well, before we get started on this post-draft, post-first-round podcast, still lots of the draft to come, uh, did want to take a second to toast to the Sounders coming from behind to earn a 2-2 draw. Wednesday night in Mexico City in the first leg of their CONCACAF Champions League finals series, uh, setting themselves up for a situation where if they win at home next Wednesday, they can become the first MLS team to win CONCACAF Champions League. So an exciting situation. Well, it is not far down to paradise for the Sounders. Pumas has no idea what they got coming for them at Lumen Field next week. Lower Bowl already sold out. Pelton Brothers may or may not be in attendance, depending on Baby Fantasy Genius's baseball schedule and your case of COVID. COVID and baseball, per usual in 2022. Uh, well, and a toast to the Seahawks for a completely normal draft pick. I mean... It's been a long time since we could say that about the Seahawks first round pick. Obviously, we've endorsed a lot of their decisions to trade down over the years. Generally a good strategy, but they, they also, I think I was pleasantly surprised. I began freaking out about this draft as soon as Kayvon Thibodeau went off the board and it became clear that like, look, the tackles, the top two tackles, uh, Neil and Aquano, they were going to go before nine. I don't think there was ever a realistic scenario of them making it to nine. So like the seven guys that we had sort of talked about making sense for the Seahawks were all going to be gone. And that left, would they actually take a pass blocking specialist to play left tackle? And the answer turned out to be yes. Let's be fair here. You started freaking out before came on Thibodeau got drafted. You were freaking I- out by like pick three. We'll we'll have to review the uh, the chat transcript. See what time it was. You were I mean, freaking I out very early you, about this draft. You made the decision, executive decision, to follow the draft on television like like a boomer, <laughs> like a boomer. I switched over to Twitter right after the Seahawks pick. Okay, but, I mean, I was still watching it on TV and then also following on Twitter on my phone like a boomer. <laughs> I mean, I didn't even watch almost any of the draft. I, I watched the Seahawks pick on our ESPN uh, live stream featuring third Pelton brother, Mina Kimes. But uh, obviously there were two NBA playoff games going on at the same time. So it was a busy evening of sports for me. But uh, so I was a little ahead of you, I think, in the number of picks. It might have been pick, pick four for you, but I, I may have already known that Thibodeau was going to be off the board. Okay, so we're going through the draft, right? The The top... Let's say the top two were obvious. A little bit of a surprise with Stingley at four. Uh, then eventually Sauce Gardner goes, Thibodeau goes, the linemen go. Stingley, Stingley at three, right? Yes. Uh, sorry, a little bit of a surprise with Stingley at three. Uh, then the, so the linemen go, Thibodeau goes, I mean, it was Sauce like, Gardner goes. I, I, I wasn't very excited about Trayvon Walker, who ended up going number one, but like the next six in order are the six players I really liked for the Seahawks. Well, and then we get down to the pick right before the Seattle Seahawks, right? Where the Falcons select Drake London. What are you thinking in this moment? I'm thinking the Seahawks are probably going to trade down is my expectation. You know, if their board looked anything like mine did, I mean, you know, Jordan Davis certainly. (laughs) I can assure you that the Seahawks board probably did not look like yours did. If their board looked like mine did, a person who has not seen any of these players play. Well, I mean, we're obviously basing this off of general consensus, which, you know, individual teams are in, in an understanding of the Seahawks needs. I think we have the same appraisal yes. of the Seahawks needs that they do. Yes. Uh, this year, pos- positional value, we may not have the same appraisal of. So 
I, yeah, my expectation at that point was that they were going to trade down. And who knows how seriously that was a consideration. They did take an extended period of time before they got the pick oh, in for Charles Cross. There were calls made. There definitely were calls made. I didn't think there was a lot of value in the trade downs. It, it was like appropriate trade downs, but it wasn't like there was no swindling trade down. And I think for sure. what, it, what it came down to was, unless maybe you're the Baltimore Ravens uh, trading a wide receiver, but like the what it came down to was I think there was, if you didn't want to draft a wide receiver in that range, probably a pretty clear drop-off between Charles cross as part of the upper tier, part of the like a list of players in the draft. I don't think there's that huge of a difference as far as everything we've heard between somebody like Charles cross and most of the eight picks who went before him. I mean, I do think that there was, if we were doing this in tiers, I think he was in a different tier than Neil and Aquanu. But that, I mean, that's that's it just my very, read of the consensus. Close, though. It is very close. And then, so maybe Charles Cross is in a tier all on his own. Obviously, there's all the receivers who are going around the Seahawks who went both before and after the Seahawks. The Seahawks were not in the market for wide receiver. We'll talk about wide receivers later. But they, they were not in the market for wide receivers. So they weren't going to make that pick. And I think the reality was, if they traded down even two or three or four picks they might have gotten somebody who is potentially significantly worse. And I think they just looked at it and they said, fuck it. Charles Cross is clearly the best of the players that is remaining right now, especially one who's not a wide receiver. And even though he's a more experienced pass blocker, when he has run blocked, it's looked good. And we coach this player and he's just a, a beast of an athlete, right? Much bigger than six foot two in a compact, in a compact, like, Charles Cross comes in as basically like the second biggest player on the entire team. They love to see that. You know that Pete loves a physical specimen of a player. He's experienced pass blocking, yes, but he's going to contribute on the offensive line immediately. And to me, what this really reminded me of was we know that the Seahawks want to run it back. They, they did it one time and they did it that first time by drafting a lineman first and it led to them winning a Super Bowl. Like, I, I think there is a there is a bit of math that the Seahawks are doing, and they're saying to themselves, we did it this once, we did it this way, let's go and do it again. And I don't know, gonna, they, did, they didn't trade back into the first round to take a safety. Well, they've already got the safeties dealt I, with. I know, I'm, I'm just saying, I, I, I think, I think they, they desperately needed a left tackle. They desperately needed any sort of tackle. And Cross was clearly one of the top players available and in a position of need. I mean, it was just the logical pick. I don't think it needed to be like we're recreating 2010. They just did the logical thing, which is very exciting for the Seattle Seahawks to do. They did a normal thing and they're getting like a plus grades. I don't know if they're doing a normal that. thing. Shields, Shields grading is pretty tough. It's people what think I grade, grade harshly. How could they, what could they have done differently? Like, how can you grade that negatively? I, I mean, I, I just think that you save an A for like an exceptionally good pick. And I don't I know just if... don't, I literally do not know what an exceptionally good pick looks like then. If you make the most obvious pick that is available to you, that's an A draft pick. Because if you go off the board, that's a bad draft pick. Like, I, I what did Shield grade this? A B. A B? A B is what a good could grade. They have done, what could they have done differently though? That's what I'm saying. Literally... I mean, who else could they have drafted? Who is the A draft pick that was? No, the A draft pick would have been if the draft fell in a different scenario. I think you have to judge it based upon what was available to them at that pick. And that's why it's an A draft pick. They took the best player at a position of need, at a position you, you of value. I'm saying the best player. I don't think that was necessarily the consensus. I mean, the highest any of ESPN's people had him was number nine. So I. He was definitely like in that group with everyone else, but I don't like, let's not oversell the thing here. He was, he was one of the best players available who fits all of the other things, right? They didn't go out. They didn't take a, an interior defensive lineman, a run stuffing defensive lineman, like watching the rest of the teams through the rest of the first round. I don't think it's fair to characterize Jordan Davis as a run stuffing defensive lineman, but Yeah. But you see all these other teams and they're like, wow, the, the Packers made a reach for a linebacker. The Patriots reached for a guard. And you're just like, that isn't us this time. Did you see the thing about the Rams press conference? 
No, what did, what did the Rams do? So they were already, because they didn't have a first-round pick, already holding their press conference at the time of the Cole Strange pick at number 29. Yeah. And basically said, wow, we wasted our time watching him because we thought he might be there at pick 102. It's Which, so good. Like, look, sometimes it works out. Nate Cohn had a piece in the New York Times today suggesting that it's uh, unlikely that when you reach for a player that it does work out that that's got more predictive value than when a player slides because multiple teams are passing on them as opposed to just one player overvaluing team valuing them higher, which I think logically makes sense. When they're like, you know, the, the Patriots, they, they reached on Logan Mankins and it's just like, great. (laughs) That's amazing that that happened before, but that has no predictive power for Cole strange. Right. People want, this is a general thing. People are obsessed with, and I think you just did this with the Russell Okung comparison. I mean, honestly, uh, not, not like, as players necessarily. I, I think if Charles Cross was as good as, like, Russell Okung is like median level expectation, right? Russell Okung is not an amazing offensive lineman. He's a good left mm. tackle. I think he's above average for what you'd expect. I mean, he was picked a little higher, and I think he was he was probably pretty dead average for where he was picked. But anyways, the... What I was saying is generally people like to talk, like to like look for the closest example as opposed to looking for the largest pool of examples, which yes. is usually the more predictive thing. Yes. And, but seeing other teams make those decisions, seeing the Packers trade away Devontae Adams and not get a wide receiver out of this first round, the first round that had so many seemingly elite level wide receivers, like it is just amazing. For the first time that we have been Seahawks fans, since they drafted Russell Okung and Earl Thomas, we can leave the first round and be like, they did a normal thing. Right. It's a a nice feeling to have, I got to say. I mean, what the Packers do doesn't matter anymore because the Seahawks aren't in that category of teams. The Packers are no longer a rival. But Are the Packers in that category of teams? Well, we'll see. It's still nice to, looking forward, is you're building a foundation for whatever the next year of Seahawks football is going to be to have a seemingly quite promising prospect be a part of that at, a, at an invaluable position. Well, and I think this is important for two reasons. The first reason is that let's say that this isn't Pete Carroll and John Schneider's team going forward. All of a sudden, having a very good pass blocking offensive lineman might be a really important thing. Correct. You know, let, let's say that, that there is an offensive coordinator type who likes to pass the ball who's coming in as the next coach. Having Charles Cross right there at left tackle is going to be an anchoring piece for the team. That's an important thing. The other thing is we're entering into a new new era of uh, building football franchises. And I think a thing that you can do pretty successfully is you get everything else and then you get the quarterback. And if the Seahawks are successful about building the rest of the team about building everything else. And if all they need is the quarterback, I am confident that they will be able to find the quarterback after that. Honestly, it's what they did with Russ. Like the rest of the team was ready and they found the quarterback after that. Granted, I don't think that they're going to find another Russell Wilson out there in the third round, but, but it is having the rest of the team there makes you a very desirable place to be for the quarterback. And we've seen that happen. And you can also, if you have a lot of very good young talent, if you have these pieces set, you can sacrifice some draft picks at that point, right? We've seen teams do it. Right now, two years ago, they weren't in the position to sacrifice draft picks. They didn't have everything else, right? That's where they screwed up. And and they weren't doing it for a quarterback. If this year they would have been, you know, maybe they traded Russell Wilson, they had back-to-back picks, nine and 10, then they could be building up the roster to a place where, it is potential and maybe they still traded Russell Wilson, but like you could rebuild much quicker if you would have had all those players on the roster rather than one Jamal Adams. So obviously hindsight being 2020 about that decision. And they were trying to go for it with Russell Wilson while he was in his prime, but this is the first step to building the roster back up. And I think again, I have to feel really good about it. Uh, can you tell us more about Charles Cross and his career at Mississippi state? I think the first piece, piece to note here for people is that this is not the same Charles Cross who was the editor of The Rocket and has published a number of books, notably about Kurt Cobain. Okay. I, I assume some of the listener may have been confused about that. But it is the Yacht Rock singer. No, that's that's Christopher oh. Cross. 
Christopher I had, Cross. I had to look that up earlier because I had that same thought because I assume I was completing the, the author, Charles Cross, with the singer Christopher Cross. Uh, so like I mentioned, you know, it he was, is that person though, right? Yes. Okay. Thank <laughs> you. Noted Yacht Rock <laughs> performer. Uh, Danny Kelly, third Pelton brother who we had on, we didn't talk a ton about Cross with him because again, I just really didn't think the Seahawks were going to consider him. Uh, had him number nine on his uh, draft rankings, compared him to Laramie Tunsil. Uh, obviously Tunsil went much lower in the draft because of the-, you the much lower? Didn't he? Picks. I guess he went, if, well, he was supposed to go higher. Uh, uh, if we got anything like Laramie Tunsil's career out of- uh, Charles Cross, I think that would be a, a very, very exciting outcome. Uh, he was number nine on the consensus big board from Arif Hassan of The Athletic. Uh, looking at his career at Mississippi State, so he he had actually signed there with Joe Moorhead, who we remember is the Oregon offensive coordinator, who is now, uh, I believe, the head coach at Akron. Played sparingly just three games, redshirted his true freshman season. Then Moorhead was fired, replaced by Mike Leach, and spent the last two years in Leach's air raid, where he got so many pass blocking reps and very few run blocking reps and not from a three-point stance. Uh, last season, allowed two sacks, but didn't give up a quarterback hit, according to Pro Football Focus, which is confusing to me because it seems to me that a sack should be a quarterback hit, but that's how they do it, apparently. Uh, PFF graded him number one among SEC players in pass blocking grade, number two in run blocking grade. And this was from the Mississippi State website. They said number two overall in offensive grade, which presumably is among offensive linemen. Uh, he told Seattle reporters after the draft, he's been training at both tackle spots this offseason. But the Seahawks said they see him as a left tackle. So the idea of, you know, like re-sign Dwayne Brown, have him spend one year or, or something at right tackle and then move over to left tackle doesn't sound like that's going to be the case i i'm fine with that ultimately you know dwayne brown like i think what he's going to be looking for in the productivity it's probably time to move on at this point and it's time to kind of turn that over to charles cross and start rebuilding the line from there like you know i i think it's a pretty perfect place to anchor it and a pretty perfect time to do that so he's somebody who you expect to be the anchoring piece of your offensive line for the next decade and to make that pick right now, you have to feel very, very good about it. That's kind of yeah. it. I, I don't just really don't know. There's not that much more to it. Like it, it kind of checks all the boxes. You know, he's somebody who, if he's good, you're going to give him that second contract. If he performs to expectation, you know, and you'll have excess value from him in the next two to three years. And I think that's kind of the most important piece is that they went out, they got what's seemingly a, a very good player. Who's not just, you know, it's not like a run blocking offensive lineman. He's not a project necessarily. He's somebody who can fit into any scheme of offense and who you can have excess value from. And that's kind of all you can ask for with a ninth pick. Yeah. So they still have to figure out the right tackle situation. I I wonder if this increases the chances that they bring back Brandon Shell, whereas possibly if there was a scenario where they went to a different spot or drafted you know, Trevor Penning and thought of him as more of a right tackle. Maybe that scenario, you re-sign Dwayne Brown and and stick that player at right tackle. Maybe now you're, you're looking to re-sign Shell. I, I don't think the market for either of those two players is going to be ridiculous at this point if they're still out in free agency as in the draft. Although, you know, surely there were some other teams that same thing. We're looking at, you know, are we going to get someone in the draft or are we going to sign a veteran free agent? I think it seems highly likely that they bring Shell back. Yeah, I mean, Jake Curhan could compete for that position, but I don't know if you want to go into camp with him as the uh, starter without you know, any sort of veteran competition for him. Uh, I guess the next thing to talk about is, so the Seahawks now have two picks at the top of the second round, uh, 40 and 41, therefore number eight and number nine overall on Friday night. They've also got then the 72nd pick in the third round. What are you hoping to see out of these picks? I hope they move up and draft Blake Willis. Like... <laughs> I, I was kept waiting for it in the entire end of the draft. It was just like every, as picks were going by, it definitely shows what the, and honestly, they may be able to get Malik Willis with one of these picks 40 or 41. Right. I mean, that's the reason to not necessarily go up, especially if you, you know, if you like a couple of these quarterbacks, have them in a similar tier, as long as multiple quarterbacks, with Kenny Pickett being the only one selected thus far, are still out there, there's no need to make that move. You just wait and let the draft come to you. I mean, we saw... How many teams are there actually out there that are actually looking for a quarterback right now? 
that they like I feel I mean, like there's fewer than you would expect. I mean, New Orleans is the team that's most commonly linked to drafting a quarterback. I would say, you know, when Detroit traded up to 13, it seemed like that might have been a possibility for them. Uh, instead, that was that was not the case. They were. I mean, Detroit went through multiple draft picks and did not draft a quarterback. That's correct. Like, uh, I, I yeah. think it definitely goes to show. I I, I was not willing to really trust the draft analysts on this draft as far as quarterbacks went, but I think NFL teams definitely saw it pretty close to how, and it seemed like that was kind of the chatter that we're hearing the last couple of days when there was a moment where it looked like quarterbacks might go high. And then all of a sudden in the last week, it seemed like, Oh no, this is for real. Quarterbacks are not going to be going high in this draft. Uh, I mean, the idea was that NFL teams were going to talk themselves into one of the quarterbacks and they just never did. It turned out. It feels like if you can get, Willis or Desmond Ritter or whomever, right? If the Seahawks love Desmond Ritter and can get him in one of these picks, then this is not a huge commitment to a quarterback, right? This is not the type of commitment where you're, this is not Josh Rosen or something, taking a quarterback at number one overall, Blake Bortles. Like it's not a commitment where you need to start them from day one. And it's not a commitment where if it, if it doesn't work out, the money is so significant that it's going to derail your franchise for five years. Like they can kind of go out and get potentially who is considered to be possibly the best quarterback in this draft at a pretty reasonable place. Like it just feels like it's worth the risk at this point. If they could move up from one of these two picks without having to give up the other or without 70. Oh, I don't think you would have to give up the other. I mean, just looking at the value that's happened in this draft, no way you're trading two picks for to move up 10 slots. I wouldn't love to give up 72 either, but I, I'd be more comfortable, I guess, doing that. I think what would be more likely is to trade to like a swap of a third and a fourth or something like that. Yeah, that's something like that is possible. I mean, I, I still feel like there's four positions of need or three positions of need, at least that you need to come away with from these first two days of the draft. Tackle is obviously one of them. I mean, you could argue that they should still take another offensive lineman because I, I think you should take offensive linemen permanently, basically. I mean, your view, your view is much more saturation, I guess. I think that the value declines pretty quickly. Uh, the position I would definitely like to see them come away with from 40 or 41 or wherever they end up is, is edge, because I think that there's a lot of value in the second round at the edge position. And specifically, I talked about this with you offline. I my the one player I will hope the Seahawks would come away from this weekend with is Nick Medina from Oklahoma. Okay, had far and away the best pressure rate of any of these edge rushers. Really, according to uh, SIS tracking, uh, we've we've talked about this. My ESPN colleague Seth Walder posted about this and how well it's correlated with pass rush win rate in the NFL. So most of the prospects who have been taken or are expected to go top of the second round are in the 12 to 13% range for pressure. Kayvon Thibodeau was at 15%. He was number two. Nick Benito is at 19%. Wow. He's like almost off the charts with his production. In fact, I, I don't think anyone in the, the graphic that Seth posted about the correlation between that and pass rush win weight in the NFL was at 19%. Uh, also, like strong athletic scores. I, I don't know why NFL teams don't necessarily. I mean, maybe he's a little undersized as an edge, but uh, if you're playing in the 3 4 defense that the Seahawks are, that's not an issue. I, to me, I, again, I would be most excited about him of anyone they could possibly draft, even Malik Willis. Okay. I mean, they have two picks. Like, that's the reality. Is they can go out there. There's a couple of positions that need cornerback. Obviously, would be an exciting one. Kyler well, Gordon yeah, being out there. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. The, the Seahawks have gone out of their way to not draft Seahawks secondary players and had those secondary players be successful against the Seahawks. Although I do think the hit rate of of Husky or of Husky secondary players, I think the hit rate is maybe not that great. Uh, I think it's okay. I mean, it's like a, it's a bit of a little bit of a mixed bag. With yes, Husky secondary. But it's a big spank with everyone in the draft. I mean, Sidney Jones coming off the Achilles injury was probably a pretty big factor in that. I don't know if he's necessarily the same player. The other edge I'd be interested in is David Ojabo, who uh, had a similar pressure rate to his Michigan teammate, Aiden Hutchinson, uh, injured right now. 
I think we can fall in love with the uh, drafting injured players and like, oh, they're going to be such a great value. And it maybe doesn't necessarily work out like when San Francisco is drafting a lot of those guys uh, during during the uh, mid 2010s. But I, I think, you know, in, in the 40s, he would be a reasonable pick and the Seahawks aren't competing next season anyway. So they can definitely afford to wait for someone to come back from injury. They just need talent. They need talent on the roster and they, I think they need to take a swing. And that's why with Willis, Willis is an appropriate swing at this point because he's still a pretty hit or miss prospect. And he's somebody who, if it works, you could have your starting quarterback. You know, could he be Jalen Hurts? Would we be happy right now if Jalen Hurts was the starting quarterback of the Seahawks? Well, I mean, I think the question you do raise is, does having a quarterback in the Jalen Hurts tier make it more difficult for you to go out and try to get someone who's an even better prospect in 2022 or 2023 or beyond? I mean, I think that's... This team that's is the not going to be that bad, though. That like, are they not going to be that bad? I I don't know if I feel like they're going to be like top three bad. I don't know if they're going to be top three bad, but they're also going to have a second first round pick next year from Denver that allows them to move up. Remember, if there if there is a quarterback who's good enough that the Seahawks are going to want to move up for them, I feel like you're going to need to be pretty high. I mean, obviously, a lot of teams are thinking this, including Philadelphia, which has picked an extra first round pick from their trade with New Orleans. But uh, I, I think the Seahawks will be pretty well positioned if it's they not, decide they it's, won't. It's these not guys. as easy as you would think. I think it is actually easier to go out and get an established quarterback than it might be to go out and get a young quarterback. Yeah, I mean, I guess, it, again, it depends how low you're starting. I, I just think this team is going to be very bad next season. All right. That's my I'm, expectation. I'm right, back, I'm right back on the boat. You can be Charles Cross. <laughs> I'm sailing. The like what's your over what's your win-loss record for projection for next season? I don't know, probably seven and ten, something like that. Okay. But it's that not, was, that's that's on the boat. I mean, I, I'm saying they're not gonna be like a have the top three pick in the draft, top two, top three. Maybe not. So there is still talent on this roster, but like, again, if they go out and they have these two picks and both of them are, if it's an edge and if it's a cornerback, I'm totally fine with that. If they don't want to draft the quarterback this year, if they don't see it in any of these quarterbacks, I'm more than happy to trust that process. Yeah. I just think it's that group. I mean, it, it is probably telling about how significant the Seahawks needs are that we're just kind of okay right now with them rolling out there with Cody Barton as a starting linebacker for next season with his one start in the last three years. Uh, I mean, linebacker, I think, could be a position you look to address at some point. Nicobe Dean has slid out of the first round. So. I mean, it seems like there are good players available. Again, if they go out, as long as it's not a safety, I still think I would be fine if they drafted a wide receiver. Like, there's basically no position that I wouldn't be okay with the Seahawks drafting. As long as they approach it, they say, this is the best player that's available here. That's fine. They just need talent on the roster. That's it. Across I mean, the board. I, much as I love him, what if they took Matt Areza? No, they, they're already set at that position. Unless, unless they saw him as primarily a kicker, I guess. I'd still be okay with it. No. <laughs> it's far enough down. Uh, we, we know the Patriots are going to take him. No, the Patriots have their eyes set on, uh, was the Wazoo running back? You know what I'm talking about. I, I do, yes. Um, God, what is that fucking guy's name? Mr. Future Patriot. God, he was there for so long. How could we have already forgotten his name? <laughs> He's little, very white. <laughs> Max Borgie. Max Borgie, that's future Patriot Max Borgie. Watch the Seahawks draft him. Uh, no, I think we're, we're pretty set. I would be shocked if they draft a run back in the late rounds. But, but the reality is they just need talent. And so whether it's another offensive lineman, whether it's a wide receiver, doesn't really matter. They need talent on this roster, and they have to rebuild the talent on the roster. And that's what they haven't done for a handful of years by both missing the draft and not valuing draft picks. And this is a time when they made a very good first-round pick, as far as we can tell. And they've got a couple of good picks coming up at the beginning of the second round. So I'm pretty good for whatever direction they go here. It, it is a weird this is, amount this... of faith in the organization. But that's all I've been saying is basically 
you just need players. You need players at the proper positions. And that's it. That's how you build an NFL franchise. It's not really rocket science. Like having a lot of players on your team and talented players is how you have a good NFL team. And that's what they haven't done very well. They haven't made that many picks. So, I mean, they've, they've made a lot of picks. They haven't made that many high value picks because they've been starting at the end of the round and trading it down. Yes. And then trading out. Like this is how teams that are in this position rebuild is they hit on these picks. And the Seahawks have a lot of picks this year and next. So I, I'm pretty comfortable with anything. I, again, I think the risk for Willis is totally worth it at this point. Or if Ritter is their dude, then Ritter's their dude. And they should go get him. Like if they feel good about Desmond Ritter as a quarterback, and they feel like they can develop him into the quarterback of the future. I see no reason not to give it a shot at this yeah, point. I mean, right? Yes. At this point, I think it's reasonable. Like if you had traded back up into the first round, I think it's a different situation, but now it's, it's, you can't be too unhappy about any them taking any of the quarterbacks. I think, basically. I think, I mean, basically, we saw at the end of the first round how much teams valued those quarterbacks, which is to say very little. Not enough to want the fifth-year option. I mean, possibly influenced by the Daniel Jones non-fifth-year option. <laughs> they saw it today. But no, like, I mean, those picks were available, clearly. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, there, was, there were a lot of trades, and none of them were for quarterbacks. So I, I think the reality is there aren't that many teams that are out there that are looking for these players. If you already have the established quarterback going out and getting a Willis or a Ritter is kind of a problem for you. You know, like, like Jordan love actually did kind of a good thing for quarterbacks in this, for teams that need quarterbacks in this territory, which is like, if you have an established quarterback and you want to go draft somebody just, just because like you might fuck your shit up for a couple of years. So we'll see if Tampa Bay takes a quarterback tomorrow. I, I am telling you, I do not think Tom Brady will allow it. Like, and it's <laughs> not worth it. Won't. It isn't worth it. You know, like those quarterbacks are not worth it to mess with what you have in this one season of Tom Brady. So, and I think that the Packers, if they could go back in time and undo that Jordan Love pick, they obviously would. And yet they still have not traded Jordan Love. So I don't know if there are that many takers for Jordan Love. I'm sure uh, there are some takers. Should okay, we talk the, about the wide receivers? Yeah. So that was the other piece that I want to mention. Obviously, you know, we got a sense of seeing the AJ Brown trade that happened for, you know, a lower first round pick and then a third as well. Sort of a fourth. known. Uh, it was a fourth. Are you sure about that? Yeah, it was 101. Okay. Uh, I thought that was a third round pick. Nope. But, but there's also a different level of value in a known pick, especially if it's at 19 and a known pick or an unknown pick or a known pick if it's higher. Like the value for AJ Brown was good, but not, you know, we're, it wasn't DK Metcalf is not going to fetch two first round picks. Like, but there is definitely a value out there to these receivers. I mean, at this point, DK Metcalf is not getting traded. He's probably being extended. Like the first round's over. So unless it's going to be a future pick after the draft, I, I think the Seahawks have every intention, especially after seeing the contract that AJ Brown got to extend DK Metcalf. And I think that is their goal. Uh, and knowing that it's going to be somewhere in the 25 million a year range, I think it's probably a number that they're going to be comfortable with. But I do have to like look at the situation and say to myself, there's all these receivers that are coming up for, for extensions. And the teams that have those receivers don't want to pay them. Like they've been in that experience, having AJ Brown as their receiver, having Devonte Adams as their receiver, having Tyree kill. And they said to themselves, we would be better off not paying those receivers. And for the most part, those receivers have been traded to less successful teams. And I think that there is, there is, there's going to be a moment of reckoning with wide receivers, which is, I don't know if these contracts for wide receivers are going to continue forever. Well, first off, they are, because the one thing that people forget is the salary cap outside of pandemics continues going up and there's going to be proportionate new TV salary cap. I mean, I think that's part of what people underestimate here is that look, there's always going to be new record side contracts signed at every position because of the fact that the cap keeps going up. I it is I do think the wide receiver position is being valued more even relative to the cap, but that's also because passing, it turns out, is more important but, than it's ever been. And, and look, maybe all these teams are wrong. I get it. Maybe they're all wrong about this decision. But I think you look at it for the Titans and you have to say that that's an absolute W for the Titans. 
to trade AJ Brown. Like they are trading the the Eagles are trading for the privilege to pay AJ Brown elite wide receiver money. They're trading draft capital. And the Titans, on the other hand, went out, they got two picks out of it. They got a wide receiver who they'll now control for four or five years at a semi-reasonable amount. And can they get a proportion of that production that they're getting from A.J. Brown? Probably. It's definitely worth the risk. I think you're much more optimistic about the production of rookie receivers than I am. Uh, I, I mean, obviously, there's a benefit to it. And you're able to reinvest that that money that you're not paying the veteran wide receiver elsewhere in the roster. I mean, Tennessee also is like, well, what's your timeline here? Because your quarterback is Ryan Tannehill and your team is built around Derrick Henry. And neither of those guys are exactly long-term propositions. So that I think is an interesting element. I mean, the Niners are a team that apparently did not reach this conclusion with Debo Samuel. And he just wanted to be traded for some other reason, whether it be his usage there or I, I don't know that he doesn't like Santa Clara and the fact that they're so far located so far out of the, uh, the city of San Francisco. Uh, it's unclear exactly what Debo Samuel is unhappy about, but it wasn't their unwillingness to pay him. And same with Green Bay and Devontae Adams. Green Bay was reportedly willing to pay Devontae Adams, you know, number one wide receiver money. He just was frustrated with the organization and wanted to be traded and go play with his, you know, college teammate, Derek Carr. So I, I don't know if it's as simple a picture as it maybe looks like. Yeah, I mean, it's I get that it's complicated, but I, I do think that there is a reason that these teams are not wanting to pay these receivers. And in the end, like, is A.J. Brown going to exceed the value of that deal? No way, right? It would like, be very difficult for him to do so. I, I think he is much more likely to to underperform the value of the deal that he's getting by a fairly significant margin. Like it's a big investment in AJ Brown that they're making. And AJ I mean, Brown, it's a, but it's a higher pick, but you remember the Seahawks traded a pick like this for Percy Harvin. AJ Brown contract is... too, though. I'm not just talking about the pick. I'm okay. About the contract I, I don't know if you're also. aware of this. They, they paid Percy Harvin some money in a contract. Just because they, for him are too. you happy with the Percy Harvin trade? How are you using that as a reason that this was a good thing? I mean, the other thing is like the value for Hollywood Brown from Arizona was relatively not dissimilar. They got in that case, I think it may have been a third round pick in return instead of giving up a fourth round pick in addition, but, and it was, it was a pick five picks lower in the first round. But when you look at the production between the two Browns, I think AJ is pretty clearly the one of those two guys you oh. want, even though Hollywood Brown has the extra year on his rookie, the fifth year option. I was shocked at what the Cardinals paid for Hollywood Brown. I mean, if I was the Cardinals, I would have just stayed there and drafted a receiver. Yeah. Like that didn't, didn't really make any sense to me, but the receiver market is a very strange market at this point. And I think all those teams that went out and grabbed receivers are probably going to be happy in the end, because if you get any level of value from those receivers, they're going to maintain value in a way that we have not seen almost ever. Like if you can turn around and you can flip almost Hollywood. Ever? To be able to turn turn a wide receiver that you draft into a first round pick four years later, who's not that good, like you're way too low on Hollywood Brown. I, you think Hollywood Brown is worth a first round pick? No, but again, I think my assessment of veteran players relative to draft picks is generally much lower than the markets. I I just I don't know if I really see it. But it's a like it's a strange position. And also receivers are maintaining their value better than somebody like quarterbacks are or something like that right now. If you draft a quarterback and it doesn't work, they're done. Right. Like I suppose that there have been some quarterbacks who've maintained value, Sam Darnold weirdly being one of them. But like, you know, if the Giants want to turn around and trade Daniel Jones, I don't think they're getting much from on the open market. Right. We've seen it with Baker Mayfield. Right. Like the offers are not there for those types of players. People are not that excited about paying a mediocre quarterback, but people are excited about paying wide receivers and giving up draft picks for them. That's why basically like all these teams that drafted wide receivers made the right call in the first draft. Every single one. I suppose so. I I still think the the ability of the player is it still matters. 
it's not just the position that matters. By the way, I you know I somehow missed this when I I thought that Arnold Evakati had gone in the no, late first round. There. He's still yeah. out there. He was number three in pressure rate, now very narrowly ahead of Hutchinson and Jabo and uh, George Karloftis, who did go late in the first round. But that's someone else I would be excited to see the Seahawks take if they yeah if they, he was still there at forty or forty one. There are a lot of things. You know, thanks to the Patriots, thanks to the Packers. There are a lot of very good players still out there who still will be out there at pick 40. I mean, I think the other situation to go back to what we're looking for on Friday night is, you know, if you don't move up and try to take one of the quarterbacks, having the back-to-back picks, I do think gives you a lot of flexibility. If there's like four or five guys you like, you take one of them, make sure that you've got them, your favorite of that group, but then slide, if you can slide back a few picks from that, that other spot and pick up, you know, a day three pick, then I think that's a, a good situation to potentially trade down. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I think the Seahawks are in a very good position here. They've had the draft considering the chat, well, your chats about how it's been an, a, a disaster. I'm just because I did not think they were going to take Charles Cross. Like I was convinced of it. I was convinced they liked Trevor Petty better. And and clearly from Judge Schneider's comments after the draft, that was not the case. And the fact that they took Cross. So I'm again, I was the pessimist was pleasantly surprised. I I it is like it really came down to uh but also they're not in that good of a position because they still traded Russell Wilson. That's how they got the draft pick, remember? It's a reset. It is an organizational reset. They went from having an old quarterback to having maybe they reset an opportunity. Your, they reset your memory of the only successful thing they had the last few years, which was their passing attack. It would be more fun to have a lot of good players, though. Like, you can't tell me that it wouldn't. To have a lot, not necessarily more fun than having Russell Wilson, but when you have a team where you're just like, it's Russell Wilson and nobody else. That's it. Pray I mean, that Russell Wilson doesn't get hurt or I something. Had Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf. I mean, you're always going to be praying that your starting quarterback doesn't get hurt. I think I, it I mean, just I, would be nice if there were other good players on the roster. You're asking me if 2011 was more fun than 2019 or 2020. I, I don't think it. I, 2011 I mean, I, was fucking awesome. I mean, it was fun because our expectations were so low. And because we the, saw the building of an extraordinarily good team. Now, the ability to actually reset that, to just, you can't, they're not going to turn around and find Richard Sherman. They're not going to find Cam Chancellor, Richard Bobby Sherman Wagner. In the, you know, in the fifth round, Cam Chancellor in the sixth round, or vice versa, whichever it was. Yeah, yeah. no, it's unlikely. But there, there is, having a lot of good players again would be kind of fun. And they needed a hard reset of talent on the roster. And it was at the sake of Russell Wilson, but like, no, is it going to be at the sake of DK Metcalf too? Then, no, I think you're, they're going to resign. At, DK at, but would you want to trade him based on that position? Of course, I've told you that I think they should trade DK Metcalf. It really depends on on what the value is. But I mean, if they could turn around and get a first and a second next year, I mean, I think the the takeaway from these trades is that that deal isn't really out there unless yeah. teams are just that like convinced that oh, we're going to be picky at the end of the first and second rounds anyway, so it won't be as valuable as the 23rd pick. That I am I am also happy to take a pick from a team that is so confident that they will be <laughs> picking at the end of the first round. Well, if only we could think of an example of a team being that confident and then sending the number 10 overall pick as part of a trade. I can't think of a one because my memory has been reset by the Seahawks. Well, it was a nine-player draft, and the Seahawks had the ninth pick. Right, like there was nobody else after Charles Cross that you would have been excited about. There were some other guys I would have been excited about it, but definitely it was it was a drop off. Let's say the Seahawks didn't draft Cross. Who would you been second most happy happy with? I mean, maybe one of the wide receivers, but probably Jordan Davis. I do think Jordan Davis might be just a. There's, there's like an outside chance he just turns out to be Aaron Donald. Like that, he had one sack in college. Like. All right, let's go. How many how many sacks do you think Aaron Donald I had? I'm aware that Aaron Donald had many sacks in college. I'm just like, I guess, just because somebody is an interior lineman, 29 and a half sacks in college. Let's go look at Jordan Davis. Somehow Jordan Davis was almost drafted time. But look, Trayvon Walker. Oh, didn't have let's that. do the math. He had one last year. Trayvon Walker didn't have production in college. And All he told, got drafted number one overall. Wait, actually, let me see this. Hold, hold on. Career sacks for Jordan Davis, seven. 
Aaron Donald had 29. Like, how can you compare those things? How can you say that's like saying like fucking Al Woods could become Aaron Donald? Maybe. I mean, uh, uh, given Al Woods' age, I, I don't think that's a likely outcome. How many sacks do you think Al Woods had in college? Apparently, Georgia wasn't allowed to pass rush. I don't know. I don't understand what, what the analysis is necessarily. I mean, and look, all these players may turn out to be very, very good players. This is so just my point for why I wouldn't have been upset if the Seahawks drafted him at nine. You just said that a person who had a quarter of the sacks as Aaron Donald had in college might turn out to be Aaron Donald. I mean, this is my thing about ceilings. Every player's ceiling in the NBA draft. This is the is fucking thing they're just Jordan saying about other LeBron teams, James. though. That's their ceiling. Because, oh, Lord. like, it's not like anyone when, you know, I don't know, Kawhi Leonard was drafted, said, oh, that guy is going to be, you know, the best player in the league at one point when he leads his team to a championship and wins a second finals MVP. Like, the ceiling is the dumbest fucking concept. I'm telling you right now, I mean, Thibodeau maybe wasn't that far off because he only played three years of college. He had 19. None of these players had anywhere near the amount of sack. Like, just because some teams fucked up on Aaron Donald and didn't draft him high enough, does it mean he had 11 sacks in his senior year? I mean, 11 is a sophomore. Yes, very productive. Like, what are you talking about? You can't compare. He is better. He had more sacks in college than any player who was drafted in this draft. More than, like, the top two picks combined. I mean, Jordan Davis, come on. I'm just saying that the range of outcomes is extremely large and people like to act like it's extremely narrow. Like we can, you know, pin down what these players are going to be at this point. The dominant factor with any draft pick is luck. So even though the Seahawks made the right process, had a good process with Charles Cross, we have to hope that they get lucky with how it works out going forward. Fair enough. Jordan Davis is way more Greg Gaines than he is Aaron Donald. That's that's it. That's a couple of great, great gains. Great gains is awesome. Yeah. But just just because some player happens to play a similar position and have totally different productivity, like that's the same as being like and where they have the same number. Oh well, actually that changes everything. They wear the same number. All right. So, uh, I we'll be back at the end of end of the weekend. I think that's the plan is to record something on Sunday talking about the, uh, the full draft and, uh, and uh, have that certainly in your uh, podcast feeds by Monday morning. Maybe if we have a guest on that show, we can ask them whether they think Jordan Davis is going to be the next Aaron Donald. It's just, we can't rule it up. Any <laughs> chance rule is yes. Okay. On that note. On, on that note, any chance that Charles Cross ends up being the best quarterback in Seahawks history? <laughs> yes, I guess. Oh, thanks for listening. Thanks. <sighs> Aaron Donald is really fucking good. I don't just don't know how Aaron Donald fell that far. Because he was short. The same reason Russell Wilson fell that far. Well, okay, well, he played well in college. Trayvon Walker didn't play well in college. Jordan Davis didn't play well in college. But Justin Herbert didn't play well in college, and look at how well, good he is. I mean... Sometimes, like, the, sc- sometimes the scouts are right. Tall and beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. You have some feelings for Justin <laughs> Herbert you want to talk through? The Tra- Trayvon Walker... Six sacks. I, I just like, how did this dude end up being the first pick of the draft? Apparently they were playing him inside and not outside at Georgia. I don't know. Georgia, like Georgia apparently is Kentucky. So every guard who comes from there is going to be Tyler Hero and Devin Booker. Have they had that many good NFL defensive players recently? I don't know. Has Georgia won the national championship recently? I mean, <laughs> like, like, like they- for this season? I guess you could just imagine it's like if their defense is the LSU team from three years ago or whatever. I mean, they had it, five guys drafted in the first round. I think it just it all kind of been, came together this season. Well, it could have been that those five five guys being drafted in the first round meant that it was just overall a good defense that made everybody look better. You know what I mean? Like, Or it could have meant that they didn't have the ability to shine individually because of the fact that there were so many other good players around them. Yeah. 
I, I don't, I mean, I'm assuming that Trayvon Walker probably is a good player, but <laughs> it definitely seems to be that being good in college is also important for being good in the NFL. It's useful. I don't think it's necessary or a guarantee that you're going to be good in college in the NFL. I think that there are no guarantees. There are no guarantees, but uh, Aaron Donald being good in college was really important for Aaron Donald being good in the NFL. It's a fucking beast of a person. Oh, yes. Lord. It's like on his own, too. You know that those pit defenses, like, he must have been facing some crazy double teams also. One would think. Whereas for Georgia, like, all of them are good. They can't. I mean, they're playing against really, really good opponents, but you can't really target one player on the Georgia defense because everybody's so good. You've been brainwashed by Pete Carroll into loving an interior defensive lineman. Ben liked him too. I'm sure, I'm sure that he's fine, but they, they compared him to, who's the other Rams? They were like, he's going to be like the run stuffer for the Rams. Hey, Sean Robinson? I think that's who they were comparing him to. Or it's just like, that's great, but this production is, I just don't know if this having that production is worth whatever the 13th pick in the draft. I, mean, I, I think you're underestimating the value of physical tools at the NFL level. It's just not that valuable of a position. But he, like that's the point of the Aaron Donald comparison, is that it can be like the best defensive player in the NFL plays that position. So it but, certainly can be that valuable of a position if you play it at an extraordinary level. Sean Robinson and Aaron Donald play different positions. I don't, <laughs> I don't know that I understand that. Like they're, they're asked to do different things. Yeah, and my point is that I think Jordan Davis, given his athleticism, can potentially do some of the Aaron Donald things. But he has not ever done those things before. And so is, how could you dislike Trayvon Walker but like Jordan Davis because, because it's Trevor the same Walker thing. was the number one pick in the draft. I mean, Aaron Donald had more sacks than the number one pick in the draft. Well, he had, as you said, more sacks than all of the players in the draft. Yeah. If Aaron Donald were in this draft, the Jaguars should have taken him number one. I totally agree. Totally agree. <laughs>